Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. Today's episode will go alongside the blog post for December 30th. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, the quotes, and anything else that I mention. You can find that entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. While you're at it, feel free to find me on social media as well. For Twitter, that is the underscore book underscore queen. I'm listed under the same name for my Goodreads. Instagram is Danielle underscore TBQ. And if Tumblr is your thing, you've got two options. My safe for work Tumblr is the-book-queen.tumblr.com, while my completely not safe for work, no seriously, I warned you, this is just porn here, Tumblr, is tbqafterdark.tumblr.com. Pick your social media poison and come join the fun. I hope that everyone had a wonderful Christmas or holidays or whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate. Um, mine was, you know, mine was pretty good. I spent literally all Christmas Day doing a million and one things, including baking all the cookies ever. At least it felt like it. It was like the never-ending rack of cookies, which is totally not a bad thing, just FYI. I decided to make the peanut butter blossoms with the peanut butter cups on it, like Jen recommended, and um, 10 out of 10, I would recommend as well. Those were so so good. In fact, they were so good that out of the probably 30, 40 of them that was made, I had two. I had two of them. Now, to be fair, a lot of those cookies that I made got boxed up to give to some friends and family and stuff. But I mean, I kept enough for the house as well, and I still only got two. Sad face. I'll have to make them again. But they were really good. Nothing fancy. This time, I've just been using the um, like a boxed mix, or rather it's in a bag, I suppose, of peanut butter cookies from the store, you know, mix that up, and then, like I says, I just put the little mini peanut butter cups on top instead of the kisses, and so good. And then I tried the, I kind of took a recipe and then adapted it, sort of, to what I had. Um, so it's a mint double chocolate chip. Double chocolate because the dough itself is chocolate, and then obviously the chocolate from the chocolate chips. I'll leave a link to the recipe that I used as well as like explain what I changed in it, which is really nothing other than adding a little bit of mint extract. Mint, not peppermint, but actual mint extract, which if you can find it, is the best thing ever. If you ever wondered why some of the things that you put peppermint extract in don't quite taste right, it's because you're using peppermint extract when what you have probably wanted was mint extract. They are two very different flavors. So I used some mint extract in the batter. The recipe called for some like mint chocolate chips, like they're shaped like a chocolate chip, but I guess they're mint. Like I've never seen anything like that in my store. So instead I used uh, about half the amount that it called for of just regular milk chocolate chips. And then I used, um, what are they? Like like uh, those little mint, like Andy's mints or whatever, that's like chopped up in a bag already for you in the baking aisle there. I used that um, for the mint chocolate part of it. And then I rolled the cookie balls into more of the mint pieces before putting them on the tray and then baking them. However, do not do what I did. I mean, most people know this with baking cookies, and I know it too, but for some reason that day, I just like did not listen to my own cooking instincts. But um, if you're looking at your cookies and thinking, they don't look done, I'll leave them in longer. No, pull them out right then. Because with pretty much all cookies ever, uh, if they look done when you open the oven, then they're going to be overdone when they cool on the counter. And um, ask me how I know this. Because I ruined the entire batch of the mint chocolate chip cookies by leaving them in an extra couple minutes thinking, oh, those look too doughy when I looked at them in the oven. Well, by the time they cooled down, they were like too hard to chew. Like you have to like dunk them in something to eat them. They taste great, except for they're too hard. I was not going for a crunchy cookie, but that's what I ended up with because I am an idiot. So lesson learned for me, no more leaving them in for just another minute. Like it wasn't even like I left them for five minutes and walked away, right? I was like, okay, I'll give it one minute, 60 seconds. This will be good. But it was too much. It was just too much. 
but the cookie recipe itself was really good, so I will make it again. I may or may not have burned my fingers while making all these cookies, because again, I am an idiot who had... <laughs> okay, so when I'm doing a lot of baking or cooking, I usually have, um, like, food-safe gloves on, right? So, like, latex-type gloves. I had those on while I was mixing the dough and then making, forming the balls of the dough so that I wasn't, you know, getting it all over my hands. Anyway, I went to go take a batch of the cookies out of the oven and put another batch in, right? And so I took my oven mitt and I put it on one hand. I've got the latex gloves on both hands, mind you. I put an oven glove on one hand, the hand that I would usually grab for a sheet of cookies with, and I opened the door. And for some stupid reason that I still have no clue why I did this, instead of reaching in with the hand with the oven mitt that I always use to pull out the hot pan out of the hot oven, no, no, I reached in with the non-protected hand that just has the latex glove on it and grabbed the hot pan. And yeah, you know what happened. You can imagine. It was not pretty. Um, it may have blistered in the spot. But I'm okay. I'm okay. You know what? Baking and cooking is, it's a process. It's a process. Sometimes you get hurt, but in the end, you get cookies out of it. So, I mean, it somewhat balances out, right? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping anyway. So, I will leave um, a link, like I said, to the cookie recipe that I used for the chocolate mint and explain what I did to kind of change it up. And, um, yeah. Other than that, again, I hope that you had a lovely holiday week. So I want to give a quick podcast recommendation to you guys, though I know some of you already listened to their podcast since that's how I finally found them. But if you're not already listening to The Heaving Bosoms, you need to go download their episodes right now. No, seriously, do it right now. Thank me later. I've spent the entire week listening to their episodes, which is why I'm not yet done with my audiobook. Oops, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Um, anyway, Heaving Bosoms is two friends sitting down to discuss one romance novel each week, kind of book club style, except it's a million times more fun and more awesome than any book club I've ever been involved in, and I'm kind of jealous of these two because that's the kind of conversation that I would like to have going, um, except for I would probably be an idiot and wouldn't be able to make half as much sense as they do, so it's probably for the best that I do not do that on a podcast. But these two ladies make me laugh so, so much, and they always have some really great things to say about the books they read for the podcast, and it's just, it's awesome. You need to listen to them. I'll leave links to their social media pages as well as their, like, iTunes and that, though they are available in other podcasty places as well. Um, highly, highly recommend, and I am now anxiously awaiting each new episode. I believe they post them on Monday, so... Looking forward to the next one. I don't really have any specific Romance Landia or Twitter chats for you this week, mostly because I've been offline a bit. Well, for me, it's a bit. Um, anyone that's probably been watching me on Twitter is like, that's you being offline. Well, yeah, for me, that's offline because I really wasn't on there a whole lot. And when I was, it was just kind of like replying to my mentions. I wasn't really spending a whole lot of time going through my feed. I just kind of stayed out of a lot of things. There's no reason behind it. I just kind of stayed out of things this week. So I really have nothing to offer you, but that's okay. I've still got something else to talk about. But instead of doing the Romance Landia chats, I'm going to do something a bit different and talk to you about some 2018 things just for a few minutes. So it's that time of year when everyone is sharing their list of yearly favorites. But let's talk about something real quick, okay? If your list is made up of only white authors who write MF romances, yeah, I'm side-eyeing the fuck out of you because that speaks volumes. As Jen mentioned, it's one thing if you're doing these lists just for yourself though I will still side-eye you and suggest you expand your reading just a bit. But whatever, you do you, boo. But if you're doing it for a big publication or you run a blog, especially if it's a bigger blog, um, yeah, you really need to read more broadly than that. 
both for yourself as a reader and for your readers who are following you. You're doing them a disservice as well. Speaking of expanding what you read, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I would share some of my reading-related goals or resolutions or whatever you want to call them for 2018. And since this is the last week of the year, let's do it now. So, here we go. First, a few goals I have as a reviewer slash blogger. I really need to try to only accept ARCs for books that I genuinely want to read and review, not just ones that I might like to read at some point in the distant future. This is a part of the reason why my ARCs are overflowing on my Kindle right now, and it needs to stop because I just do not know how to get out of this pile. And I don't think I ever will, but it causes so much stress because then I'm going, oh shit, I've got books from like eight months ago that I never read or reviewed, and I've got books coming out in like three weeks that I haven't read or reviewed, and I just, yeah, I've got to stop it. I've got to stop this cycle somehow because it is not good for me. I need to also get back to actually doing full-on reviews. I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't actually posted a review on the website in like two or three months at least and even then that was like one review in like probably that long as well another two or three months you know I just I've mentioned this before I've just been missing my reviewing mojo I suppose and I felt like I was struggling to write about any book that I read whether it was one that I loved so damn much or a book that I didn't like no you know what if it was a book that I hated um, creating a rant for it is really damn easy. But if it was like any other type of book, I was struggling to write a review. And what I ended up with always sounded like every other review I have ever posted. And I didn't want to keep doing that to you guys or anyone else. Like, I shouldn't be just recycling the same thing over and over again. And it wasn't intentional, but it's like I got into this rut and I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to explain a book any other way. It's just like I would fall back to the same cliche phrases or the same way to, you know, describe it or the same words. And it just, I had to stop. I had to stop, which meant that I just kind of stopped trying to review anything um, and focused on, you know, just putting stuff up on the blog from Jen and from Pat and our daily deals and all that stuff. And then I started doing the podcast, and so then I had that to worry about. And so just worrying about actual reviews took, like, a back seat and then some. I need to change that in 2018. I really do. I think that doing these podcast chats have helped me to take a break and recharge a bit, but I'm not quite there yet to get back into the swing of things. Hopefully 2018 is the year that my reviews make a comeback. Fingers crossed. I also need to learn to take a step back sometimes and understand that the blog will survive if I'm not a week or a month or whatever ahead of schedule. I say a month. I have not been a month ahead of schedule in maybe ever, but, you know, you get my point. <laughs> you know, the world won't end if a post isn't perfect or if I have to finalize a post at the very last minute rather than a week ahead of time. I just need to learn to chill and step away from the computer at times and there's other things that I need to do in my life and things that I maybe would like to do in my life and sitting at the computer all day long to try and get caught up is not helping me. Um, I know others that do work from home or do this for an actual job have mentioned that before too where it's so easy to just be like okay I'm doing this all on my computer at home. I can just sit here from 6 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night and do it right. I mean, you can, but that's not good for you. And really, it's going to end up messing with your productivity after a while anyway. So I need to get back into finding basically my work-life balance with the blog and everything else I've got on my plate. And that's kind of one of my main big goals for 2018 because worrying about the blog and if the post is going up on time, like that is a lot of stress that is just holding me down, and I don't need it anymore. I don't need that stress anymore. Okay, and a few more goals that are just more for me just as a reader, not really related to me as a reviewer or a blogger. So I want to read at least one new-to-me author 
every single month. I mean, one is like the minimum, but I didn't want to try and put too much pressure on myself and say, oh, you need to read this many of this type of books every single month, because then that becomes stressful again, just like everything else I'm talking about, right? So one a month minimum. If I want to do more than one a month, that's freaking awesome. If I don't, one a month. And you know, if I don't get one in a month, that's okay too. Like I'm not going to beat myself up over it. But my goal is one new to me author every single month. Next, I want to read a lot more romances from um, authors of color. Women of color usually is what it ends up being, right? And also just from authors of other marginalized groups, you know, more own voices romances, period. And sometimes that might tie into the new-to-me author for the month, and sometimes maybe that's just a completely separate thing, because I just need to do both of those things. I need to break out from the authors that I'm constantly reading, and I need to break out from the very, you know, white, cishet circle of authors that I'm constantly in. I also want to read more FF. And just in general, more queer romances that are not MM, because that's pretty much, that's what I'm more familiar with, right? Within the queer romances is MM. It's only maybe two or three FFs that I've read over the years, and I don't think I've read one. No, I guess I've probably read one that had like a trans or a non-binary character in it or even like an ace or a demisexual character in it. But anyway, my point is I just need to read more more broadly within the queer romance, um, you know, I was going to say subgenre. It's not a subgenre. Why do I keep trying to call it a subgenre? It's really not. It's just romance that is not cishet. Anyway, so if you have recommendations for queer romances, for FF romances, even for more MM romances, maybe they're for ones that I haven't read because there's always a ton of those, um, let me know because I really do want to expand on that more in the coming year. I need to learn when to say nope and just walk away from a book and that it's okay to DNF a book. It doesn't matter the reason why, it doesn't matter anything. I can just, you know, let it go, let it go. Don't make me start singing, you don't want to hear that. Anyway, <laughs> I've struggled with that over the years, and I sometimes I'm getting a little bit better at just putting a book aside, but then I still have that lingering guilt of, oh no, you really need to finish that, and I just, I need to stop that. Just need to stop that. And except when a book is not working for me, sometimes it might be the book, sometimes it might be my mood, sometimes I might come back to it in months, years, whatever, and love it. And sometimes maybe it just needs to be passed along to someone who will love it instead. I mean, only if it was a print book could I pass it along to someone else, but well, whatever, you get my point. I want to encourage myself to take the time to do a binge read of a series or to revisit an old favorite book or an old favorite series because I don't do rereads ever. Like, I can count on one hand the number of books that I have reread in the last couple years. Because I always tell myself I, can't, I don't have time to reread because I've got 20 billion books sitting on my Kindle and in my pile of print books just staring at me, judging me. So no, I can't go back and read that book that I read five years ago and loved because I need to read these 20 million others. And I need to just stop that cycle <laughs> and tell myself no. You know what? You want to go reread that series over there? Then go reread it. You'll be fine. It's okay. Basically, I just want to make 2018 the year where I take the time to read what I want to read, when I want to read it, and have no guilt about being behind on reviews or behind on the TBR mountain that's trying to kill me. Like, I just want to be able to read what I want to read again. And, you know, just to have fun again with reading and not take it so seriously all the time, which I think is one of the side effects of reviewing. It's just, that's just how it is. You start to do something like this, and sometimes I think you lose some of that fun of just escaping into a book just to escape into it. Because it's hard to turn off the reviewer brain sometimes of, oh, okay, I need to talk about this, and I need to complain about that, or I want to 
say how much this part made me happy. Like sometimes it's hard to turn that part of the brain off and just go, you know what? I just want to sit down and enjoy a book and that's all I'm going to do. I need to get back to that part. So what about you? What are your goals or plans or resolutions for 2018 specifically about reading? But, you know, if you want to share your life or personal resolutions with us as well, feel free to. But, you know, for the purpose of this podcast, I was I was talking about your reading goals for 2018. You let me know because I just gave you mine and that took up far longer than I thought it would, even though I was reading off my notes. So it's only fair that you share yours as well. Moving on to the blog recap for the week. First, Jen did a double review on Christmas Day for two contemporary romances from Talia Hibbert. Mary Inkmas, which received the Royal Pick rating and four and a half stars, and Bad for the Boss, which was four stars. Jen says, this makes me very excited for Talia Hibbert's future books because if she's improving this fast from one book to the next, she's going to be a goddamn powerhouse in a year. I completely agree. You need to keep an eye on this amazing new author. Next, Jen's ranty review for The Virgin and the Beast by Stacia Black went up, and she gave this one a big old zero-star rating. To sum this piece of shit book up very quickly, Jen has this to say. No. All the no's. A million times no. A fiery, white-hot, raging inferno of no. Seriously, this book sounds harmful and shitty. Hard pass from me as well. December's Royal Picks giveaway went up Thursday, and it'll end on Sunday the 31st. So, if you're listening to this before that date, get over and enter. Between Jen, Pat, and I, we've got seven top-rated romances on the list, and two winners will each pick one ebook. Good luck. And finally, Pat's review went up for Niken Rebuilt by Scarlett Cole, which comes out on the 2nd of January. She gave this one five stars, making it a royal pick for January as well. This is a second chance romance with a rock star hero, and Pat calls it funny, romantic, and sexy. There were also the usual posts up this week, lusting for covers on Sunday, new releases on Tuesday, and daily book deals Monday through Saturday with a recap of the deals on Sunday. I apologize in advance to your one-click finger, while also encouraging you to go treat yourself to a new book. Or ten. I won't tell. Next week, Pat has another five-star review for you. Paranormal-slash-historical-romance author Brooklyn Ann will be by with a guest post and a giveaway, and we're finally going to share our list of 2017 favorites. Which, when I'm recording this part of the podcast, I still have not made my list, so, um... I need to get my ass in gear, like right the fuck now. As to my reading week, I managed to finish four books, though one of them was technically a short story, but it all counts. Doesn't matter. It was a decent week for me overall, and I had a pretty good time with all of these books, so yay for no rage rants today. But if you're in a rant withdrawal, might I remind you that Jen's zero-star review is up on the blog right now? Just saying. So, without further ado, let's get into the book discussions. Let's start out with the book that I technically finished last week, but remember it was right before I sat down to actually finalize that podcast, and there was just no time to do it. I'm talking about The Cowboy Christmas Hero by Donna Grant, which I ended up giving three and a half stars to. Abby has been raising her younger brothers since her father's death and her mother up and left, basically the minute that Abby turned 18 and could become their legal guardian, she left the paperwork for it, signed, and just walked out the door. It's a struggle, of course, for many reasons, including trying to just provide for them on her, you know, little part-time job. Or it could be full-time, but I mean, it's not a high-paid job, is what I should say. She works at an accounting firm, and she's slowly working towards getting her certification to be a CPA one day. But right now she's just doing, I don't even know what you would call her. I was about to say kind of sort of like maybe like a paralegal in a legal office doing a lot of the work but not getting paid for it. Kind of the same idea. That's kind of how I took her job description anyway. 
So one day she gets a call that her one of her brothers was arrested and she needs to come down and deal with it. He was involved with the theft of a ton of high-quality beef cows and a prized bull, but he refuses to sell out the ones who hired him to do this job, uh, and he was the only one who was actually caught that night. So Abby tries to appeal to the ranch owner so that he won't press charges and instead offers to pay the ranch back, except she didn't realize how much the cattle were worth and since she could never afford that in her wildest dreams, ever, the hero offers to have her brother work the debt off at the ranch instead. Clayton was a Navy SEAL, and despite retiring from service recently, he's continued to keep his distance from his home and his family. This is due to a combination of his time in the service and the feeling like he doesn't relate to the civilian world now, but mostly it is lingering guilt from his brother's death years ago. His parents don't blame him, they never have, of course, but he blames himself for not being able to stop his brother from doing something stupid that night. And the fact that now Clayton is the heir to the ranch, a ranch that he never wanted to run, but his brother always wanted to, well, the guilt just hasn't left him. But when he gets a call from his mother about his father's health, he somewhat reluctantly returns home to help with the ranch. He never figured he'd start falling for someone while he was there. There were definitely some pacing issues with this one and things that could have been better developed, or in some cases, just developed, period. Most notably is the ending was rushed and wrapped up far too quickly. Not just the romance ending, but also the main plot issue, the, the missing cattle. I know it wasn't written to be a complicated mystery plot or anything like that, but the wrap-up for it was a letdown nonetheless, um, because it seems like we had that be such a big driving force to set up this entire meet-cute for these two and whatever, and then we spend most of the book with nothing to do with the missing cattle, and then we get to the final few chapters and suddenly it's a rush to figure out who, you know, who has the cattle. I don't know. The, the pacing of it just was really off and it was just seemed to be wrapped up far too neatly and I don't know, maybe two or three pages maximum. As to the romance being, you know, a bit rushed and disappointing, like I was saying, I know the hero was at least smitten with her. Almost from the beginning, you know, it was he wanted to take care of her. He wanted to know more about her. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe before even the halfway mark, he's telling his dad just in passing, oh, yeah, she's mine, I'm going to take care of her forever. I, I get that. I, I was told that. I didn't necessarily see that um, progression of his emotions, but I was told that that's how he felt about her. But I didn't fully see the romance growing between them. And then suddenly we're a few pages from the end of the book, and they're planning a wedding together. And... I just, I never really saw them moving from point A to point B with their romance, so that alone was disappointing. The sex was barely there. I think they get two scenes, maybe, on page, which isn't a problem on its own, mind you. It took me a bit to realize what one of my issues was with the sex scenes here, and then it finally dawned on me as I was looking back over them. They were entirely description-based. No dialogue while they fucked. None. And I very much need some dialogue while the couple is getting it on. It can be so damn hot. Sex time conversation is the best, and also it breaks up what would otherwise be pages of he touched her there and she stroked him there. And, you know, I'm all for the descriptions at times, but that can get just kind of bogged down if that is all that your sex scene is. So I don't know, I guess here's a tip, if you will, to authors. You need some dialogue in the sex scene as well. It's like any other scene. You don't want pages of description. You need some dialogue to break it up. I also kept waiting for some things to be more fleshed out, but no luck there. Like Abby's boss, who was written kind of like she was part of the crime of stealing the cattle, and I kept waiting for it to be you know, found out that she was working with the bad guy, so to speak. 
but she wasn't, unless it's somehow going to carry into, like, the next book in this series, but I can't see how. I mean, the, the plot of the missing cattle has been wrapped up in this book, so I can't imagine that that would go into the next one. But there was just so much about her that kept hinting towards that she was part of the plot, and and that she was working with the guy that stole the cattle, and she didn't. Or at least, you know, in this book, it's just like, nope. They, they got the guys that stole the cattle, and that's the end of it. Like I said, there was things that was just not really developed, or we were kind of pointed towards them, and then they just disappeared while we found the real answer that was wrapped up neatly at the end. It was just, eh, no, not, not the smoothest execution, I suppose. Or even like Abby's goals of getting her degree. They felt like they were pushed to the side once the hero is digging her out, and, in fact, he even starts asking her, you know, well, forget about going to work for Gloria anymore at the CPA office or whatever. You can just be our full-time accountant here. And she says, well, I don't have a degree. Well, we'll take you whether you have a degree or not. And this is while they're fucking. And so I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I just, I wanted her, if she really wanted to get that degree and go and, you know, live her dream job or whatever. And he's saying, no, just stay here and work here for our ranch instead and marry me at the same time and sleep in my bed every night. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was just kind of like, you kind of took away some of her agency there by making her just become a worker for the ranch instead of following her original goals and dreams. Or even, and this is from Abby's own mouth in the, I don't know, last chapter or so. Actually, probably even the last two pages. It was really close to the end of the book when this came up. But she's talking about... You know, how, yes, she wants to marry him, and yes, they want to ride off into the sunset or whatever. And in the same breath, she says she's not sure how her abandonment issues suddenly disappeared when he came into her life, but they did, and I love you now. And I'm like, same, Abby, same. I guess they were cured by his magical dick because there was no other thing that changed. There was no discussion. There was no unpacking it. It's just like, she has him, and then he asks her to marry him at the end, and she's like, okay, they're gone. I love you. Let's go. What? What? No. You, no. So that's what I mean by like stuff that wasn't really developed or executed like it should have been. And honestly, if I stop and think more about the story itself, I'd probably have a lot more to say that was um, along those same lines. And yet, with all that being said, I did like this one. It was an easy read, and it was a perfectly acceptable read. It didn't wow me in any way, and if you noticed, I don't have a lot of good things to point out specifically, but I also didn't hate any of it. Now, if you're thinking this will be a strong holiday romance based on the title or whatever, it's not. The holidays, hell, the time of year period, doesn't really come up, and I actually forgot that it was supposed to be leading up to Christmas until... I don't know, the last or second to last chapter, uh, when the chapter heading for it said, you know, Christmas Eve day or whatever. Other than that, you can't really tell that it's supposed to be set around the holidays. I mean, I think there's a Christmas tree in their ranch and they look at that, but the setting wasn't really that strong for a Christmas book. I don't know. I mean, I guess we all read Christmas books for different reasons, right? Some of us want it to be like, pow, in your face, here's Christmas. And others just want kind of like a a hazy background of Christmas. You know, I don't know. This one, I suppose, would fall more into that hazy background of Christmas, which isn't a bad thing. It's still a fine book. It just didn't wow me. If I'm going based on the technical story execution uh, itself, it might be more like a three-star read for me. But I did have a pretty good time just while reading it, so, and it was an easy read, so I'm just not sure what to count it. Three stars, three and a half stars, somewhere in between there. Let's go with that. Somewhere in between three and three and a half stars. Two last things that really have nothing to do with the book itself. First, that title is a bit of a cluttered mouthful, isn't it? Is it just me? Okay, fine. Maybe it's just me. I didn't care for the title, and I just kept getting it messed up. Like, was it a hero's cowboy Christmas? A Christmas Cowboy Hero, a Cowboy's Christmas Hero. Who the fuck knows until I look at the book itself? And second, I read this in print, and it took me forever, and my hands are still crying from trying to hold the book open. Lazy reader here, don't judge me, I don't care. 
I thought that this was my first Donna Grant book, but upon checking my Goodreads, it looks like I did read two of her older paranormal titles years ago. I don't remember anything about them. Um, so I just have to trust that past me actually put that into Goodreads as something I read and I did read it, and because I, I have no idea if I did or not. Um, it looks like I gave them an average like three-star rating as well. I have had my eyes on some of her newer paranormal series, though, like the Dragon Shifter series, I think, that she did with Swerve, maybe? I should stop guessing what publisher these books are with, because I'm always wrong, aren't I? Um, anyway, I will try another one from her in the future, but as I said, I'm not really in a rush, because this one was just... It was just nice. Nothing more to it. It was just nice. It had some flaws, but it was just kind of an enjoyable way to pass the time. And that's okay. It happens. Sometimes books are just okay and nothing special about them. It's fine. Next up, I finished Rap by Rebecca Weatherspoon. While this one definitely suffers a bit from novella-itis, I still ended up giving this one four and a half stars, making it a last-minute royal pick for December. Shay is a divorced pastry chef who owns her own quite successful bakery. She's also a heroine of color. She's black. Oh, and she's curvy. Hell to the yes for all of that. She's trying to get back into the dating world, and one night while she's on her dating app, she sees a man from her past. They used to work at the same company for a bit, and she always thought he was attractive, but at the time, she was married, so obviously it never went anywhere. Literally, it never went anywhere. Now, after help from her amazing group of girlfriends, she swipes right on him and takes a chance on chatting him up to see if maybe there's something between them. Aiden is a tech guy. He runs some sort of online real estate company. Honestly, I'm still a bit unsure on what exactly his business is or even what their shared you know, company or job that they were in before was, considering she's a baker and he does this. I don't know. It really doesn't matter, though. What does matter is he's a ginger hero with glasses and muscles and, oh, dear God, gimme, 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 yes. Also, he is the sweetest hero. There is no alpha hole tendencies here. This novella was fucking adorable and fun and sexy, and it just gave me all the goofy, happy smiles and warm fuzzies. I mean, what more can you possibly ask for in a book? I do have two small complaints, which we'll get to in just a little bit, but seriously, I adored this story, and I highly recommend it, especially if you're still in the mood for a little holiday treat. Their text exchanges were cute and fun, and it leads to her asking him for nudes. Yep, you heard me. Our heroine grabs her own sexual agency by the horns and tells him her relationship goal includes sending and receiving nudes. Get it, girl. Get it. Well, obviously, he is more than happy to send her some, which he does, and this leads to a phone call and a video session for some mutual masturbation fun. Alas, here's where my first, admittedly small, complaint about the book comes in. She sets her phone up so that he can see her, opens her legs for him, and then it fades to black, and the next page starts a new chapter, new scene, different day entirely. I was so disappointed by this because this was a fantastic scene setup, and I so wanted to watch them get off like that. Especially as sex positive as this book is, this was a letdown for me. Which is not to say that by keeping this scene out of the book, the book was suddenly less sex positive. No, no, that's not what I mean. I was just surprised and then disappointed that this scene turned fade to black on us. Listen, Rebecca, I will pay you for that deleted scene. Take all my damn money. Please and thank you. From there, they finally have their first date, which was so damn cute and simple but sweet, and it was just perfect. He goes with her to pick out a tree and decorations, which also turns into a bit of a random errands while she's at the store, and it's just next-level domestic cuteness, and I loved it. Now, despite their first fade-to-black scene, which I'm still, I'm still a little bit grumpy over, okay, a lot grumpy over, uh, when they finally get together... Oh, yeah, yep, yeah, they get 
together. I loved how Aiden was there to listen to what she wanted and what she needed, and Shay was very forthright about telling him what she wanted and what she needed. Communication plus sex positivity equals the hottest thing ever. Fight me. Fight me. Here's the thing. You know how last week I was complaining because that rage-inducing cereal had a monster cock in it? Well, Aiden has his own monster cock in a way, but I wasn't bothered by it here like at all. Mostly because Aiden never brags about his size and he's not a dick. You know, period. He's just not a dick. If anything, Aiden is a bit embarrassed by his size, which is all sorts of cute. It just is, okay? So Aiden is described as being quite big as far as girth, though I imagine he's not lacking in length either. It's just that wasn't something we were ever told about. It's not like the other hero from last week that's like, nine inches, I'm nine inches, nine inches. No, this dude is just like, I know I'm big. That's it. But like I said, I didn't mind his size here. And neither did Shay, if we're being honest. I loved that they had a very frank conversation about taking it slow and what positions might work best to be pleasurable for her without turning into, ouch, that's just too much, dude, back the fuck off. Again, communication is fucking sexy, and Rebecca Weatherspoon shows this again and again. Their scenes are hot, and my only complaint is I wish there had been more. But, you know, that's me in a nutshell with any romance out there, so I really can't hold that against Rebecca. Just kind of to build off of the whole, why is it that I didn't, it didn't bother me that he's supposed to be, you know, have a bigger cock in this one? Like I said, it's because he doesn't brag about it. It's not framed like this is, you know, him whipping out his dick like it's the best thing about him, which is kind of what the problem was in the other book and in certainly other romances as well. It's far too common, right? Because, you know, the reality is, just like any other body part, um, you know, there's some people that have a smaller penis, some of them have a larger one, some of them are really long, some of them are really short, some of them are thin, some of them are gigantically thick. Like, you know, the body is made a million different ways. Everyone is different. So, I mean, on the one hand, I don't want to always be like, oh, disgusting, that's too big, because that's kind of another form of body shaming, right? Same thing if I'm saying, ew, that's too short or that's too tiny. So I try not to do that. I mean, I'm guilty of it like any other person, of course. But my problem in a lot of romances is when it is framed along the lines of he's got a giant dick and that is the best thing about him and he has to tell everyone that he's got a giant dick and he has to act like a giant dick and he has to swing around the giant dick. The reason that the size thing worked for me in this one is because it's not glorified. It's not being like framed as the best thing about him, right? It's just, oh, he's bigger, we may have to adjust some of our positions, and he's a little bit uncomfortable about his own size because probably he's had other women that's made him feel bad about it being so big because, you know, hey, body shaming, what did I just say? Um, so that's kind of why it worked for me here. It's the way that it's executed. So when we all say, ew, we don't want something that big coming near us, I mean, the reality is... Whether or not we maybe want to in real life is a different story, but in our books, it's more of how the author executes it, right? It's about whether or not it's actually there as part of their character, like it's just their body, or is it there because it's trying to prove something? Is it trying to prove that they're extra manly because they've got a nine-inch dick hanging between their legs? Like that, I don't care for. But if it's just like, hey, he's got a larger dick, we're going to make do with it. That's it. That's that's all it, that's the end of that story. Like that I'm okay with and it worked for me here. Um that was a bit of a tangent that went off into a ramble, but hopefully you get my point. I'm okay with the size thing here because of the way it was handled and I just I have no complaints about that part. I may or may not want however big his dick is coming near me in real life, but that's a different story. I was fine with it in the book though. So, back on track. We've got them being adorably cute together, and they're ridiculously hot together. So what else is there about this book that's amazing? I mean, besides everything. Oh, her friends. Her friends, some of whom are characters from the previous books in this series, I believe, um, which you can read as a standalone. You didn't have to start from book one. You would be fine. You wouldn't be lost or anything. But her friends were just so much fun. They were a blast. So first of all, I love when we get good, strong female friendships in a romance. And 
I cannot say this enough, but give me more of this, authors. Give me more. But also, these women were just a blast to hang out with. Find you a group of girlfriends who, when you tell them, okay, he definitely sent nudes and they are definitely impressive. What do I do? They respond with, go over and mount up. Because hell fucking yes. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Just yes. So they were there for her all the time for anything. And they also added to the overall fun tone of this book, which has so many fluffy and LOL moments to it that it just made me grin the entire time I was reading it. I mean, that is a sign of a good book. Also, Aiden's friend Matt did the same thing. He also added to the fun. And I liked that our hero actually had a friend on page because I think that's also a problem. Too many heroes, like, have nobody in their life that they care about or that they're good to besides the heroine. And that is just about as horrible as when it's the heroine who only has the hero in her life and literally nobody else. Like, it goes both ways there. Give your characters friendships and family and found family and all of that stuff. Anyway, Matt... Um, he was just fun, and I kind of hope that he's going to be getting his own book, because I'd be okay with that. So my only other problem here won't be a surprise, especially since this is a novella. The ending was rushed, and it left me wanting more. Especially after her very much out of the blue freak out and dump him scene, which came up within maybe, I don't know, a chapter left in the book or so. Again, I get it. It's a novella. Everything's on a very quick time frame. You've got to get through it and get to the end. But still, I think this could have been paced out just a little bit better there towards the end because she was doing just fine. And then like mid-sentence, she's telling him that they're they're broken up and, and bye, I'll see you never again. But we're, you know, no hard feelings, just bye, I'm gone. And she's gone for, I don't know how long they're broken up, maybe a week or two? I can't remember the time frame of it. And then, of course, they have to hurry and get back together to end the book. So it was just, like I said, the pacing there was just off a little bit. And a lot of that is probably due to the fact that this is a novella. So, regardless, I truly enjoyed this one and still ended the book with a smile on my face. And that's always a good thing. I have read two others from Rebecca, Fit, which is the first book from this particular series, and Haven, which is the first book in her Beards and Bondage series. To be completely honest, those two books were just okay for me. I liked them, but I always felt like I wasn't quite falling in love with her writing voice or style. However, I felt like this novella was much smoother and the writing was even better. And I know that may sound like a slap in the face to the author, but I swear it's not how I mean it at all. Because no matter if you've written five books or 50, the more you write, the more you improve and grow and, um, you know, just expand as an author, right? And I think that's what's happening here, because I could definitely see how her writing has tightened up a little bit and the pacing and whatnot has smoothed out more from those earlier books which means that it's only going to get even better with future books from her, and I cannot wait for that. One last thing. Shay makes a chocolate brownie caramel crunch trifle that Aiden basically wants to marry, and whenever he's eaten it, he makes sex noises. And damn it, now I want this. I want this, and why is it not in front of me? That is the only problem when you're trying to read a book with like a bakery or a lot of food or whatever in it is it makes you just want everything that they mention. Everything. I want it all. And I can have none of it because it's all fictional and in a book. <sighs> Why? So if you haven't read Rebecca Weatherspoon before, I think this is a great place to start for a quick, adorable holiday read with a good deal of sex positive spice. Hell to the yes for all of that. Next up, I finished a quickie, so I'll just go over it briefly here. It was Christmas Eve morning, and our power went out for a good two hours or more before coming back on for a little bit and then going off again, and it was just a nightmare that day. Anyway, I had The Christmas Truce by Tiffany Rice to keep me company, and it was just what I needed. The Christmas Truce is this year's freebie holiday short story, which reunites Soren, Nora, and Kingsley together for a little holiday menage fun. 
It has her usual snark and fun and consensual, well-done kink and sex. Since this short story will mean absolutely nothing to you if you haven't read the entire series, and since not everybody likes this series for a variety of very valid reasons that I can respect, um, I won't get into this one too much here. It's just, it would be a waste of my time and yours if you're not, you know, part of this series. It's not going to mean anything. So I'll just say that I loved it, and I will never grow tired of this world or the characters here. If I was to give this one a rating, I would give it five stars, but, um, you know, where it's a freebie short story, like, I'm not going to put it into the giveaway or anything like that. Um, but I did, I really loved it. But again, it's going to mean nothing to you if you're not already a fan of the series, so... Since I won't be chatting about the book, how about I just give you a couple of fun lines from the many of them that I highlighted. King, I need your finger, Nora said. Kingsley rose from her overstuffed gray suede armchair and sauntered, as Kingsley did, across the living room floor, his wine glass in his right hand. Only one, he asked as he sat down on the floor next to her. I thought three was your finger preference. This is my finger preference, she said, showing him one finger in particular. And that's just the opening paragraph of this book, so you know it's going to be a fun read. And it totally was. You're eating his cookies? Kingsley asked. He didn't say you could have any. If you've sucked a man's cock, you get to eat his cookies. In perpetuality. That's the law. Nora unbuttoned his coat for him and pushed it off his shoulders. Is it? Kingsley asked, shrugging out of the coat. It is. In that case, Kingsley said, give me one. There was also a snowballing scene, and I'm not talking about kids making Frosty the Snowman or something like that. Um, snowballing does involve a white substance, though, I guess. You know what? You let me know if you know what snowballing is. I admit I only know because of Tiffany a few years ago. I think it was during a podcast she was on. And she mentioned that her editor asked her to cut that scene out of the book. I'm guessing that's probably how it ended up in this short story instead, because this is just, you know, self-published and not part of the um, main series that was done through Harlequin. Anyway, I'll just say that snowballing in real life is a pass for me personally, but hey, whatever floats a person's boat. But um, in here, it kind of had some meaning to them. So, you know, it was kind of like... I don't want to say that I went, aww, over snowballing, because that's really kind of an odd reaction. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess that's kind of what I did, because damn it, Tiffany Rice can just, if anyone can make me go, aww, over snowballing, it's her. Words that I never thought I would say ever, and yet here we are. <laughs> okay, okay, I will stop, because otherwise I would just sit here and share pages of quotes from this one, which I'm not opposed to, but, you know, I won't make you all suffer through that. I will leave a link to my Twitter um, hashtag where I shared all of the quotes, like always, so that you can scroll through them to your heart's desire, or not. Whatever. And finally, I finished up Mary Inkmas by Talia Hibbert. Much like my first book from Talia, I'm stuck between three and a half stars and four stars. And since Jen just did her review for this one, I won't go into the book too, too much, but don't worry, I'll still be sharing what worked and what didn't. Our heroine, Bailey, is a curvy black woman who also wears glasses. Yes, please, thank you. She is currently working as a barista while finishing up her degree, which is how she meets Cash. Cash, a ginger-haired tattoo artist, has been coming into the coffee shop every day just to see her, and he lets her make him surprise specialty coffee flavors, even though he only drinks his coffee black and he ends up just, you know, dumping it out when he leaves. He's totally smitten with her, and after each visit, he ends up drawing her secretly in his notepad. One day while he's there, a young man, John, uh, comes in and Bailey tries to help him out since John is currently homeless and having a rough time of things. When her asshole manager sees that John is back and Bailey's helping him, uh, the manager threatens to fire her and instead she gets mad and just quits. 
Cash steps in and offers a hand to both of them, both her and John, by getting John a motel room for a few days while he gets in contact with a friend who can help John to actually get back on his feet and get a job and all that. And then Cash is offering Bailey a job as a receptionist at his tattoo parlor. Like I said after my first Talia Hibbert book, which was uh, Bad for the Boss, I love her writing style and her characters and the body and sex positivity that's just woven throughout the entire book, and that's all in this one as well. But I have to be honest here. I felt like this one was a bit slow, and it took me most of the week to finish it, which is very odd for me considering how, you know, the length of this book. It's not a terribly long book. Uh, it felt like we spent far too much of the book with his secrets, his past, hanging overhead and keeping him from moving past this kind of hot and then cold reactions he was having to Bailey. On top of that, there's no sex until about 75% in, and then there's only one on-page scene. I know, I know, I shouldn't be judging a book by its sex or lack thereof, but damn it, I wanted more from these two because the build-up was there, but then then I was just kind of let down. From a different author, some of this might have made me drop the overall rating, but again, I do really, really enjoy her writing, and that can go a long ways towards helping a story out, which is definitely the case here. It's not that I was mad at anything in this book. It's not that I hated anything in this book. I was just a bit disappointed, and I still wanted some things better developed from it as well. But I can definitely still see where um, where her writing is improving. I mean, like, like I've mentioned before, you know, any author just naturally improves their writing as they go along. She's still a newbie author, so, um, you know, she's still learning things. She's still getting her feet under her, and, like, I am here for that. I'm here to see what she accomplishes in the coming years, and this one was still a good book. It just didn't quite wow me. But that's okay. So let's go over a few things that I really loved in this book. The fact that Bailey has thighs and an ass and all of that, but a small chest. Bless you, Talia Hibbert, for being not only body positive, but also body diverse. Because not all bodies are the same, period. And I feel like when we do get good fat representation in romance, the heroine is always curvy everywhere, right? She's got the tits and the hips and the ass, which is great. And that's totally a valid body type. And I'm not saying we can't write about that one, but it's not the only body type. And I want to see more diversity in that regard. So... Thank you for giving me that here. Continuing with the body positivity, Cash is watching her get dressed at one point, and he mentions that her thighs jiggle, which, yes, yes they do. That is how bodies work. Bless you again, Talia. But the best part is Cash is ridiculously turned on by seeing this, and I am so here for a hero that appreciates the heroine's body like that. No matter what her body looks like, I always appreciate when he can appreciate what her body is like and what it does because, hi, not everyone is this um, photoshopped cover model that we're being shown in the media. That is, you know, really not how most bodies look. While I did say that I was a bit disappointed in the sex as far as how little of it there is, I loved that she starts to give him a blowjob under his desk one day, and when he's about to lose it, suddenly one of the other workers from the tattoo shop, you know, comes in, and he has to act like, you know, nope, there's nothing going on, nope, just just out of breath and tense for no reason, bye dude, see you later. Uh, so the BJ is obviously cut short, which, boo, but... But when they finally get it on, many pages later, admittedly, uh, he tells her that he owes her five orgasms. And she's like, but you didn't actually come from that blowjob. And he's all, doesn't matter. You gave me five minutes in heaven, and now I'm going to give you five orgasms in return. And he gives it his fucking best. <laughs> fucking best. Literally. <laughs> you get it? Fucking best. Anyway, um, however, he's not fucking Superman, and after her fourth orgasm, he has to call it quits because he's too close himself to an orgasm, and uh, it was just perfect. I like that we got that bit of reality in there, right? We're so used to the hero just being able to, like, 
keep going for hours on end. And I mean, on the one hand, that's kind of sexy, or at least the thought, maybe not the thought of hours on end of sex, that's going to get raw. But the thought of, you know, the hero putting the heroine's pleasure first like that can be totally sexy. But at the same time, you're like, okay, but eventually you've got to come as well. And, you know, maybe you can't get me to that magical 10th orgasm before then. That's okay. It's okay. You gave me a lot. Like, I just appreciated that we had that level of reality popping in to this sex scene. And again, I wish there had been more sex, but you know, whatever. I'll survive, probably. Um, I'm just being a brat about it because that's me. Give me all the sex in my romance novels. Anyway, <laughs> totally random, and I won't ruin the story by explaining his tortured past, but I loved that his mother nonchalantly tells Bailey that, yeah, I made sure that both my kids were in counseling. I mean, that's A-plus mothering, especially A-plus romance landia mothering right there. How often do we complain that a character, especially a child who went through some shit in romance, uh, needed counseling, but never gets it in the book, right? Or never gets it during the course of their life. And finally, we've got one who does. And I so appreciated that. The epilogue here was like over the top sweet, and it just put a smile on my face. So there's that. Honestly, I just enjoyed this one. And like Jen and I have both been saying for like the last month, you really need to keep an eye on this author. She is amazing, and she is totally going places. I am excited to see where her career leads her. Her next book actually comes out on Tuesday, January 2nd, um, Undone by the Ex-Con, which has a black ballerina and an ex-con turned writer, and it's currently 99 cents for pre-order. You bet your ass I one-clicked that as soon as she put the links up a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if I'll actually read it next week or wait a bit to do so because I feel like maybe I need to take a step back. I've mentioned before I don't like reading any author um, too many times in a row because it's far too easy for me to start picking up on like their writing quirks, which every author has, you know, their little ticks and things that if you read too much of it, you're going to start noticing it and noticing it and you can't look away from it type of thing. So I'm thinking maybe two books here from her in the last couple weeks is my limit. So I might hold off on actually reading her next release, but I was not going to hold off on getting the sale price because I'm a cheap ass bitch and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but either way, whether I read it next week or like two months from now, I'm looking forward to it and everything else that Talia throws our way. So that was one author that I was so glad that I found in 2017. And I think that is a lovely way to more or less end the year because what better way than with a new author that you totally fell in love with, right? This weekend, I'm reading The Ones Who Got Away by Ronnie Lauren, which comes out on Tuesday, January 2nd. Remember my earlier comment about having arcs that's been on my Kindle for like months and months and I'm still behind on them? Yeah, this is one of them. Anyway, I so love Ronnie Lauren's books, and this one sounds like it's going to be a heartbreaking read, and one that some may not want to read at all, as it involves the survivors of a school shooting, now all grown up, and falling in love. Yeah, I know, that is a tough situation to tackle in today's reality, and you know, like I says, I know for some that's just going to be a hard pass and they won't pick it up, which is fine. Just like with any other book, that is your decision to make and that is totally valid. Um, but you know, I'm going to tell you how it goes next week, so stay tuned for that. If you are curious about how this story is handled or how it turns out and all of that good stuff. As to my audiobook, I'm almost done with Beck McMaster's Heart of Iron. Um, yeah, I know, I started that last week, and you're wondering, what the hell? Um, remember I fell down that rabbit hole of awesomeness that is the Heaving Bosoms podcast? Well, I kept listening to their episodes, like, one right after the other, instead of my audiobook while I was doing the walks and, you know, housework and all that stuff when I would listen to an audiobook. So, oops, 
And it has nothing to do with the audiobook. I was just like, I want to listen to more of these podcasts. And then I couldn't stop listening to them. And now I've listened to all of them. And now I have to wait for a new one. So um, sad face. But I will be finishing up the audiobook. By the time you're listening to this episode, probably, I will be done with it. And I'll talk about it next week, which is technically next year. And that always sounds ridiculously funny to me to say, oh yeah, I'll just, we'll do this next year. And you really mean like in two days? Just me? Anyway, I will say, and I'll talk about this more when I talk about the book next week, but I think to finish out this series, I might just do it in ebook, which my library also has. Because I found, I'm not sure if it's the narration, even though I don't have an issue with anything she does with her voice. Or if it's just me trying to listen to, um, like, a, you know, paranormal fantasy type thing. I don't know what it is, but I just found it really hard to stay focused sometimes while I was listening. And it's not the story. It's just, like, maybe, I really think maybe I need to actually read um, anything that's, like, paranormal and has a lot of world building. I think maybe my brain is just, like, I can't do that in audio. With, like, the rare exception, like, for example, Nalini Singh's Psy Changeling series, which I listened to all of them on audio earlier this year. Um, some of them were rereads, and some of the later ones were the first time I actually read them. Anyway, like, that series, I have no problem doing it in, in audio. Um, mainly, I think, because I just love that world, and I'm, like, so... Uh, I started that world in, you know, actually in print at the time a couple years ago. And so I'm I'm aware of what that world is. It's not so much world building at this point, does that make sense? But I think with um, my experience the last month or two with a couple different steampunk series that I've tried in audio or even like urban fantasy ones, I feel like I have a harder time keeping completely captivated by them, like keeping into the story while they're on audio. And I think maybe it's just that my brain is like, nope, I can't do that type of story on audio because... I'm just going to zone out and think about a million and one things that you need to worry about. And instead, I'm like, just shut up, brain, and listen to the story, which usually works with, like, any other audiobook. But for some reason, it's not been working so well with these, like, fantasy, steampunk, whatever. Anyway, that was a ramble that went no fucking where, so you know it's the end of the day, right? Or rather, it's the end of the week. It is actually Friday morning while I'm doing this. Say hello to my dogs. Apparently someone's at the door. Hold that thought. And surprise, surprise, not. I'm still on hold for my audiobooks on Overdrive, so I'm not sure what I'll pick up after I finish Heart of Iron. I don't know. I just don't know. I guess I'm going back to look through what's available now, and hopefully I find something good. We'll see. What about you? Tell me, what are you reading this weekend? I hope it's good, but if it's not, you know I'm always up for a good book rant as well. Also, don't forget my questions for you this week. First, what are some of your 2018 resolutions, your reading resolutions, that is? Also, do you have some recommendations for queer romances, especially FF, that I should read, or just new authors and authors of color that I should read next year? Give me all the wrecks I am here for it. Oh, and do you have any other romance podcasts to recommend? I know there's not many of us around, which is just sad, but um, I am sure that there's a few other ones out there that I've probably been missing out on, and I want to fix that. So let me know. I know that 2017 was total shit for so many of us, and I just want to let you know that you made it through another year and one that was probably really hard for a number of reasons, personal and just the world is on fire, shitstorm reasons and everything else. And you are doing awesome. I hope that you have a wonderful New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and all of that. Please be safe if you are going out to celebrate, if you are going to be drinking, don't drink and drive. Um, you know, just be safe, have fun, but be safe because you are important and you matter. And we'd all like to see you here in 2018 and every other year after that. I hope that 2018 is so much better for you and for all of us. And um, 
I hope that we all find some amazing romances to escape into. I'll see you guys next year. I hope you enjoyed this week's Whatcha Reading Chat. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some fantastic books. Until next time, enjoy TBQ.